0: You're listening to the Pre-Hospital Care Podcast on the Medics Academy Network.
1: Welcome back to the Pre-Hospital Care Podcast with myself, phone Walker. In this episode, we're going to be speaking about reverse mentoring with Carl Betts. So what I want to do is explore the concept of reverse mentoring and indeed how Carl has been challenging the status quo in quality improvement uh, in his ambulance service. So what I want to do is look at Carl Betts' reflections on mentorship and indeed reverse mentorship of quality improvement fellows within an ambulance service setting within the UK. So within the Yorkshire Ambulance Service, Carl and the department have taken a novel approach to uh, steward and also deliver a fellowship programme within Yorkshire Ambulance Service. So we're going to dig into this programme and just see how Carl leads these QI fellows and also how they lead him in innovation and ideas. So the focus of reverse mentoring is to increase mentees' inclusion competencies. However, mentors are simultaneously provided with the opportunity to learn from their mentees' experience, knowledge and skills. So it can be considered a career development opportunity for both parties and both sides. So reverse mentoring is an effective way to build genuine awareness of barriers faced by ethical diverse employees, but also different perceptions and um, perspectives of leadership from mentees as well. So we're going to dig into the assessment process for the fellowship and indeed how Carl has flipped this on its head. So Carl Betts is no stranger to the podcast and indeed has been on a number of times with me on the Principal Care podcast and indeed the World Extreme Medicine podcast. He is the quality improvement lead for Yorkshire Ambulance Service and has been a paramedic for over 10 years. He's currently leading the fellowship programme for Yes. Welcome Carl to the podcast.
0: How, do we want? how are we doing?
1: Good, thanks. Good, thanks, Carl. I wonder if we could just start by kicking off and just asking you why the fellowship is in place in the first place and what it seeks to achieve.
0: Yeah, so the fellowship started uh, with the inception of it in 2018, and it was designed to allow um, a broad range of staff who were successful in the interview process, um, no matter what grade you were, it was open to everybody, um, the opportunity to, to be a part of something really new which was a ground up approach to quality improvement, whereby it was the people on the ground doing the do, who were actually the ones to bring about the improvements and bring about the change as part of a cultural journey. Um, we've obviously been on this road since 2018. I've lived this journey since 2018 because I was fortunate to be one of the original cohort. Um, and that journey has, has changed my career path effectively because I've now left the road as a as a full-time uh, pre-hospital clinician and I'm now in corporate world as a quality improvement lead within the QI team at Yorkshire Ambulance Service. Um, it's a, a growing world is quality improvement. It's now the basis of near enough all strategies throughout the uh, NHS. It's the It's the go-to thing as the as the, as the well-renowned and accepted method for bringing cultural and um, not just cultural, but also systematic change to the to organisations. Um, and YAS has been one of the leaders within that, and the fellowship has been one of the leading lights of it, because for the past, um, since 2018, however many years that is, we've been bringing people through this programme um, and developing them, so they can develop the organization as a whole.
1: So I'd like to just also just dig into Carl. What what you've learned from fellows in the past. So and indeed you came through the process. What 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 have you received from sort of stewarding or indeed guiding fellows through through the process and indeed sort of this concept of reverse mentoring?
0: So I've been um officially line managing the the, the current fellows um for the past year, year and a little bit. Um And what I've basically learned throughout the fellowship and when I was a fellow is that what organisations have is an absolute untapped. Group of knowledge and that knowledge, if you can actually tap into it, will absolutely give you the answers what you need. If you choose not to tap into it, you're not going to get it. And the fellowship, what it does, it allows that tap to be switched on and it allows that that knowledge from around the organization to actually um, start flowing and what it also does is allows them fellows to see the rest of the organization because it's really, it's really easy, especially in an organization that's quite big both um, in terms of assets and people as well as geography to actually get them to be able to see what the organization looks like and how each part fits. and When people say, oh, well, I've tried this and it doesn't work. And now that's it. I've I've had enough of it, generally because they don't actually understand how the organization works and the fellowship allows that that breadth of organization and knowledge, but also it allows these people time and it allows these people some autonomy and it allows these people some empowerment to be told, you know what? Go and explore. And actually, one of the things that they struggle with a lot of the fellows is that autonomy because they're now not told that they have to do this, this, this and this. They're guided and they're offered support. But actually, the biggest learning that the fellowship offers is the fact that you learn by doing and you learn by making what are classed as mistakes. But they're not mistakes. They're just little learning journeys and to encourage the fact that it's fine. To make mistakes as long as we learn from them, to encourage people to be really pushed out of their comfort zones and really learn from the experiences they have. So at the very start of the fellowship when I was looking after my my current group of fellows I really made an effort to try and work out what their positive skills were, what the things that they struggled with and actually we worked on the things that they were good at, actually we put a lot of emphasis on the things that they weren't good at which meant putting them out of their comfort zone so if some of them struggled with some presentation skills funny enough they were presenting at quite important meetings quite quickly and before we know it we've now got a group of people who were really comfortable at doing it and that's because we put the effort in with them
1: so carl you know i've known you for a number of years now but you you're quite an honest fellow You, you know you you've say it as you see it but you also give quite honest feedback both to me and to, to other people and indeed probably to fellows but how have you found receiving feedback because i can i can imagine you sit down with these fellows and and ask you know give them feedback from their strengths and weaknesses and, and focus on building up their weaknesses so so they become strengths how have you found that process of asking them have you got any feedback from me what, what, what are my weaknesses what what, what do, you, could, do you see could change how how have you found that
0: so it's been really interesting and I think it's been interesting because in our team we're all just really open and honest and I think everybody knows that they're open and honest and therefore everybody feels safe. So because of that everybody's happy to receive feedback because feedback is always constructive and it's a sign of a it's a sign of a really unhappy place if people feel uncomfortable about getting feedback because it should be done in a positive way. Um So in terms of the feedback that the fellows give me, it's either something that I ask for and generally they're an honest group of people, so I'll get the feedback I need Um, or I'm currently having some coaching sessions for my own development at the moment, so I specifically asked my coach to reach out to them and see if the knowledge that they're going to give back is level with what my thought process is to see if I'm way offline or whether I'm on the same page. Um, And it all to me just comes down to honesty and it that it's that safe space. And if you've got a happy team and you've got a group of people who are all striving for the same thing, knowing that everybody's got everybody's back and there's a no blame culture and there's no finger pointing, you'll always get the feedback you need but it's the positive culture that has to be there
1: first. You spoke earlier about just these communication skills and how central communication is and bilateral communication uh, in an open, honest discourse. But could you you speak to, indeed, how your communication might have changed over the years of leading this group of fellows and even going through the fellowship programme yourself, how has your communication changed?
0: I think it's just, I think, your whole skill set just gradually changes over time in that. Um, yes, I'm I'm normally quite a direct character. Um I sometimes I like to say it how it is. And sometimes in circumstances, that's absolutely fine. Whereas in other circumstances, it's not. And you've got to change your tack to doing it. So the biggest thing that I've learned is reading situations and understanding the situations to understand how am I going to go about this conversation? Because if done properly, that conversation will go well. If done wrong, that conversation will go very badly. And actually, you'll all end up in no further forward. In fact, you'll probably end up a few steps behind. Um, but a part of that is not just, doing it, not just doing it isolated. If there's a discussion that needs to be had, it may well be that actually I'm not the one to lead on that discussion. I may just need an extra pair of eyes and ears as an intermediary to actually have that discussion. But we've never had to have that so far. Um, we've had other people come into chats around feedback, which is linked to what they need uh, or the people need, or indeed what I might need. But that's always been in a collaborative way so we can all get the best out of what we're doing. Um, and then it just comes back to being open and honest. Why does this person need to come into this meeting? Well, this person needs to come into this meeting because of X, Y and Z. And if you're open about it, no one's ever got a problem. And if they have got a problem, you can have a discussion about it in a safe space where everybody's comfortable.
1: I really love what you're saying there. Yeah, I think essentially what you're saying is reading the room. And I really, I, you know, I, th- I think I appreciate leaders that do read rooms well, know when to come in. But also, like you said, you know, they show you that they're listening because they they re- reiterate messages. So they can reiterate the, the primary, the secondary, the tertiary message, or, or, you know, and they can and then they can come in with their own message on the back of that but that fundamental reiteration shows the shows the person especially if it's difficult conversation that they've they've taken on board the other person's information which is which is key let's just double click on communication for a while because there's been a number of circumstances across most organisations but certainly in the ambulance service where there might have been an SI so serious incident or indeed a a near miss that the the trickle down effective communication what do you teach to the fellows about communicating maybe a salient point or a salient learning learning case from a from an si or from something else how does that how do you teach the fellows to disseminate that to a wider to wider group of people and indeed maybe a complaint and how that's how how change is embedded through communication how what are some of the salient points you teach
0: so specifically for me, it's all about the audience who you who you're having that discussion to. Because if you're having a, a discussion with a member of um, fa- of a family who has got um, a, a, a has made a complaint or has raised some concerns through the SI process, and um, then that that conversation is going to have a very very different um, journey to if you're having a discussion with members of staff. Um, so that's your first thing. You have to understand who the conversation's for and what the aim of the conversation is that you're trying to have. Um, The one thing that I always try and tell people who I'm mentoring or people who um, I'm, I'm looking after in terms of a leadership point of view is that as long as the discussions you're having are honest and people can tell that they're honest and that you can back your honesty up with some facts, around the discussions that you're having. People will very rarely take umbrage to what you're saying. If you come about it a wrong way that you don't show honesty, you don't show some empathy, you don't show some understanding about how this discussion may impact them. Well, then you're always going to end up two steps behind. And it's about that holistic approach that you don't know what's going on in people's lives. You don't know what's going on fully in their work necessarily. You don't know. So you may just be having that discussion and actually the discussion you have having may press lots of buttons, but because you don't understand the holistic approach to what you're saying and how that might affect them, you've then caused that person a huge lot of negativity um, directly by how you've behaved, not you per se, but you, you as, as, as a general, Um, So for me, I just try and get people to make sure that whatever they do, they do it with honesty and they do it with conviction. People might not like what they have to say. You can't always please everybody. But if you do it with honesty and conviction, your heart can be clear, your soul can be clear because you know that you've done what you believe is the right thing. And I think people get that sense.
1: The one thing you were saying about just this bilateral feedback in reverse mentoring, car was you know open, open to feedback itself. there's good lines of communication both ways in different concepts and indeed different um, initiatives that you're taking and stewarding as, as a leader, could you speak to reverse mentoring and leadership? Because some, one thing you were saying about mentoring um, fellowship students is that you'll put them maybe into a meeting and that they will be the ones giving the PowerPoint or giving the presentation, they will be leading the meeting, the cadence of communication, the cadence of change, they'll be me- leading the information which is being unpacked. Could you maybe speak to how you empower fellows to lead? And indeed, how how that looks and how you then feed that back to them.
0: Yeah, so it's really interesting that you end up at the start of the fellowship with this group of people who've come from all walks of the organisation from varying different grades in terms of bandings and things like that. But at the end of the day, these are now a group of people who are at a certain banding to do a certain job. And that certain job is they're a quality improvement fellow on a QI Fellowship programme. As I said, we'll take people out of their comfort zone because it's what we have to do to develop them. It's the only way you can develop, but there's a difference between taking them out of the comfort zone and scaring the life out of them and taking them out of the comfort zone and giving them just the amount of support that they need. Now, sometimes you might not get that level of support right. You might sometimes get too much support in the the leading, the, the leading the presentation and it's going well, but there might be a couple of seminal points that have maybe been mixed out of it. So therefore you then help out and jump in. But by doing that, have you then potentially undermined their presentation by doing it? Likewise, there's the other side of the corn where you basically put them in this meeting and they start floundering, it all starts going belly up, and then you just basically just let them get on with it, which is the complete other end of the spectrum and actually is definitely no help to anybody. So there is that there is that balancing act. And um, what I always try and do is if we put our fellows in an uncomfortable situation, I will always try after that situation to have an evaluation of it. Doesn't have to be a formal evaluation necessarily, but it's the time where you can sit down as a as a pair and just talk through the process, talk through how they felt, talk through what went well, talk through what they could do better, get their feedback and then you offer some feedback on your on your on your side of things. But then also ask for some feedback about how I've supported them. Did I give them enough? Did I give them too much? Would they have liked some more um, assistance with the presentation? Would they have liked me to do some of the slides just to give them a break? unless you have that bilateral conversation and unless you have that two-way discussion you will assume you're doing the right thing but what i assume is the right thing i don't know is the right thing unless someone either tells me i am or tells me i'm not and sometimes in a leadership position it's very easy to go down the path of i'm on paper the leader of this exercise so therefore i am leading it when in fact what needs to happen is, is your name is on the top of the paper and you are responsible for it, but actually everybody else is part of this. So therefore everybody else can take an equal part of it and then everybody can have ownership of it and everybody can feel pleased and feel satisfied and feel fulfilled when the end game's complete.
1: So just looking at the process of assessment, Carl. So I read a fantastic reflection of you recently about the process of assessment with QI Fellows, and just how it can be quite difficult and challenging to do nuanced and/or new things in in assessments. Could you maybe speak to how you flipped assessment on its head? Wh- what you're looking for as sort some general attributes, and how you feel you've maybe progressed through from maybe what would have been maybe historic, quite formulaic assessments.
0: Yeah. So previously the the interviews were always interviews. They were sit in a room, maybe give a presentation for 15 minutes, then answer some questions. And then that's it. That's the shot you've got at the fellowship, probably 45 minutes to 50 minutes. Now, in terms of the fellowship, what we're offering is people from throughout the organization, the opportunity to take part in it, because like I've said before, that is the reservoir of, people of untapped potential that we've got now, just because somebody might be, um, I don't know, they're, they're on a low grade of work as such by in terms of banding, and they might not have had a lot of interview experience, they might not have had a lot of, you know, a presentation experience, that should not mean that they're um, admitted. Potentially, from the chance of doing well in this situation, and also, they might be the absolute golden nugget who, if we can latch onto them and get them into the program, could absolutely be the shining star because you don't know until until you have a go. So we decided that actually is an interview. is an interview just the standard thing that should be done? And then we decided, actually, what we should do is a very, very small interview, but also do some assessments. And the assessments were aimed at seeing how they integrated with the team, how they communicated with each other, the thought processes, whether they brought the the, the, the thought processes back to the organisation and patient centred care and the rationale for the choices that they made. Just to basically give a holistic approach to to seeing these individuals, and what we did was equally weighted every aspect of it. So there wasn't an emphasis on the interview. There wasn't an emphasis emphasis on a single task. So you had an equal opportunity to basically um, to score well um, And as part of the QI team, we're all about continuous change. We're all about looking at doing things different. And if we can't do things different and fly the flag for doing things different, then how can we expect our peers and our colleagues to do anything different within an organisation? Now, the one massive learning point I've taken from this is it's it's blooming hard work and it takes a lot to do and it takes a lot to put things together, which is probably why I can see that it's not really done very often. But actually from a positive, now we've done it once and we've got a lot of the governance stuff linkedin we've got a lot of it signed together we know what we're doing then if we choose to do it again next year with a slight twist it'll be a lot easier because the groundwork we've done this year is really positive but we need to change it because like everything in quality improvement you evaluate what you've done and then you see how you can make it better and if we can't live by our own mantra then we can't expect anybody else to
1: so what I like about that is just that you 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 embody and or model the 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 attributes you want to see in others. I think from a um a long while ago within education I realized the power of you know putting yourself in front of a class and actually role playing i don't know be the trauma scenario or the medical scenario but the non-technical skills that you're actually wanting to see from them rather than just throwing people into the students into the into the lion's den and asking them just to get on with it it, but what you're doing there is you're modeling to them this you know the uncomfortable nature of change and the uh, not accepting the standard trying to continually improve continually raise the bar and I think that's fantastic because they they clearly see that and it's clearly modeled by by yourself and the team but Carl could you, could I get you to speak to what these fellows then go on to do? do do they get go on to get get roles within QI teams do they go on to be I don't know service delivery managers do they go on to be f- future leaders within the, the ambulance service what what kind of roles do they get after the first ship?
0: So it's a bit of a it's a bit of a mix, really. So the idea of the fellowship, on on paper and from its inception, was the fellows would come in, do the the fellowship program, and then take their learning back to their substantive role. So therefore, in theory, they go back and then share what they've learned with their home teams. Now, we've very quickly learned that over the time we've been doing this. Because of the opportunities the fellowship offers, because of the teaching that they get given, because of the um, overview of the organisation they get and a deeper understanding of the organisation they get, what we end up with is actually a development program that is completely by accident. This this wasn't an intentional. It was a, this was a balancing a balancing measure that we hadn't even really thought about. Is the fact that what we end up with developing these people who were absolutely nailed on either good leaders who are ready to go now, or within a very short period of time, another year or so of of development, are going to be absolutely nailed on leaders for the organisation. And actually, when I flipped that on its head and thought about it, the actual um, outputs that the fellows have I think we will see a lot more of when they then become into leadership positions, because what happens at that point is if they go back to their substantive team and they get lost into the substantive team world and the QI stuff just sort of starts stopping, that's that, 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 that's no use. Whereas if they follow the programme and then they go on to a leadership position, no matter how many people they're leading, if they are living and breeding the embodiment of quality improvement, then that is what their team will do. So therefore, in terms of the cultural change, they are the drivers for it and they are the drivers who've lived it, experienced it and don't need to sell it because everybody can see it in them. And I'd like to think that's what people see of me. I'd like to think that's what people see of my of my fellow uh, colleagues within the team. But I've been, I'm i in a really positive place in how I think over the next couple of years, the fellowship is really going to, um, Make even more strides into the organization, um, with the quality of the fellows who we're dealing with. Um, so I'm really positive about it. Um, I can't speak highly enough about the fellowship from a personal point of view because of, it's got to me where I, it's got me to where I am. It's offered me loads of opportunities, um, and I've met some really like-minded people along the way, which I think is a key thing because a lot of people who deal with quality improvement, especially when it's fairly new to an organization or where the culture is quite new to it, is you need that group of people to make sure that you're all on the same page. Because some people think as a bit of blue sky thinkers, we're a bit out there, we're a bit, a bit off the wall sometimes. And that's that's pretty much true. To, to, a, to a certain extent um, but that's just our makeup and that's just our mindset and that's who we are um, but that community of people together when you get that community right you can get an awful lot of good stuff done and where we are in, in the organisation at the moment with the new strategies coming out and the new five-year five year plan coming out UI is a deep rooted part of that and now we've got A lot of people within the organisation who were fully bought into it were into a really good place and the fellowship, I think, is only going to be a stronger part of that.
1: To your point, Carl, that you just made really well, you know, quality improvement is everyone's business because you can pull it back to EPRR, so emergency planning, resilience and response. You can pull it back to critical care. You can pull it back to being on the road as a paramedic. Uh, you could be pull it back to cycle response unit. You can pull it back to any facet of pre-hospital care, urgent care. You can pull it back to, because every scheme and or system within the ambulance service, so service delivery at frontline, um, emergency planning, or everything, needs progression from people that are doing the job and that can see leverage in their day-to-day they can see they can see the gaps and they can pull forward the gaps. so like you said it's it's not nuanced and and specialist just within one it affects every part of the ambulance service and it can it can be disseminated because it's a i think what i think probably what i'm hearing and what you're training is a mindset and there's a certain faculty and number of skills which come along with that mindset but but that there the is quality improvement in in every facet of of day-to-day life in an ambulance service it's just where that is and that again is a mindset it's a locus of control so it's an internal locus of control rather than external so that actually we can affect change uh, and that that needs to sit within us because if you democratize it or delegate it out you automatically um disenfranchise and you 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 disseminate power to someone else so you have to retain it and then and then but say retain it you have to converse and you have to start to persuade other people that this is the best thing to do but but the locus of control has to has to be has to be maintained internally and then and then shared within the team but I I think I get what you're saying and I think it does relate to every facet of the team.
0: I think one of the big things with with quality improvement is For a lot of people and a lot of leaders it's a new concept in the fact that it's a trust thing to just to let the people doing the do do the do to empower them to do the do to give them the space to do what they need to do give them the time to do what they do and just trust them to get on with it and actually if they make a mistake or it doesn't quite go right give them a clap you know say you know what top job well done. What have we learned from that so we don't do it again? As opposed to the, the constrictive nature of, 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 I think, the NHS in general as a, as, a, as, a, as a global entity in the fact that people don't necessarily feel empowered, don't necessarily feel trusted to be able to make the decisions, what they need to make, that they don't need to happen. The governance side of things is so complicated that it just scares people off because people are scared to make a mistake. These are all the things that are the blockers to improvement. It's not the people. I believe we've got the people. I believe we've got the pool and the reservoir and talent. The issue with it is, is tapping into them. And that's one thing that the fellowship's got. We can tap into. Granted, it's not a massive amount of people. We'd love to do more but there's always going to be a financial burden. But what we need is these people throughout the organisation to be entrusted and empowered just to say, you know what, have a go.
1: Carl, we're going to come into land shortly, here, but I, I think that's a fantastic point. You've just end, ended on there. But I so a couple of questions as we as we finish off. Number one would be how it's changed you as a person, how the concept of reverse mentoring and leading these fellows. And then number two, just salient points, because there will be people listening to this that think, actually, we probably need a fellowship program within our ambulance service and that doesn't necessarily just mean within the UK it could be North America could be Europe could be wherever and and just the advantages of stewarding and or mentoring and reverse mentoring these people through a process a disruptive process so continual asking are we doing this best way are we, is there a, a, some other way we could do this some first part of the question is how it's changed you and then second part of the question is just some salient learning points about how other people might be able to embed a QI scheme or indeed a fellowship scheme.
0: So I think the first bit is some people have an improvement mindset in built into them by the fact that how they go about their daily business, the questioning of how we do things, the questioning of why we do things. Some people don't have it as much, but with some coaching and some mentorship can do that. Um, For me, I had that questioning side in my head. It was my daily business. I just didn't know it was my daily business until someone gave me the opportunity and actually a lot of the things I was thinking about then had names put to it and actually root cause analysis was something that I did because I was interested in finding out why things happen but I didn't really know it was a thing until like I was uh, like I say I was offered the chance to to learn about it and it was a fellowship offered me the learning and also gave me permission to say that what I think about and the way I do things is actually an accepted way of doing things and is fully encouraged that 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 fills me with joy seeing that because we now see that actually our mindset and thought processes about how we go about things works and is healthy and should be encouraged um so that's how I've how I've moved on um and the second part of it was about what, I can't remember what the second part was. So you have to yeah, so the se-
1: second part was just about how other people might embed a scheme. Because I think what you're saying here, Carl, is fully relatable and fully um, relevant to any organisation. I mean, we're talking about pre mm-hmm. care, but it's not just pre care. This is a mindset shift to any organisation, police, fire, not even just emergency services, um, aviation. Continual improvement, continual reciprocal feedback, continually continual questioning, continually getting better at, at at communication, and the the adage of of reading rooms. Just, so, just just I suppose the question is, how do other services and/or ambulance services embed, even just in a primitive sense, a fellowship scheme to to, to sort of onboard QI fellows.
0: To be quite flippant, It, it should be really quite easy. What you need to do is get a group of people who are really interested in making change, get them all together, give them some time, give them some funding, give them some support, and say, you know what? Off you go. Go and have a go. Actually, and and at the base level, at the absolute simplistic approach, that is what the fellowship is. Granted, we've had four four years, um, or five years of doing it now, and we've learned an awful lot while we've done it, and we've changed things as we've gone. But effectively, it's about getting people who are really interested and who can thrive in that dynamic to be to thrive. And the only way you'll do that is to give them the time and space to do it, and stick them in a room together, because. Great things happen when you put people together. Great things happen when you get some ideas thrown on a table and somebody says, you know what, guys, you've got permission to do what you want. There you go. And it's brilliant to see it. And it's brilliant to see the enthusiasm on people's faces when you say to people, which is shocking that it gets to this point, go on, get on with it. You you, you lot can do this. And 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 I find that a shame because actually we should just be able to say to anybody in the organization, come on, I want you to be a part of this. We've got the time for you. We've got you taken off shift or we've got you taken off your daily work. Away we go. Now, that simplistic approach, it doesn't work a lot of the time because there's still a service that needs to be delivered. There's still patients that need um, that need a response. But it's that sort of flipping things on its head that actually to put the hard yards in now and get the services sorted and the processes sorted and improved now will have an added benefit to patients, service users, staff, etc. in the long run. It's that flip of a mindset that sometimes we have to do things now for the future benefit.
1: Carl, I think that's fantastic. Um, and I think we'll finish off there. One thing I will say, if possible is i will um put links to both yorkshire ambulance service but also to um, indeed your linkedin or indeed your email whichever you're comfortable sharing just because if there is people that want to reach out to just for some basic advice and or just to avoid some of the pitfalls and also some of the seminal Um, facets just to embed that they could just kick off with for for, to start a fellowship program a QI program then then it would be great for them to be able to reach out because I fundamentally believe every ambulance service should be doing this and that shouldn't just be every ambulance service should be the majority, if not every uh, service provision or service provider um, globally should be should have a QI department, which is striving for change and striving to embed change. And so I, I, I will do that if that's OK with you, because I think this is powerful and it's and it's harnessing. Like you said, in my last uh, my last interview with um, Anissa Persab, uh, she's a, a consultant nurse advisor. She said the answers are within the system. The answers are within the system. The staff within the system have the answers. Now it's just fostering and mentoring the staff to bring that out in them. And indeed to to help to, help to, to help and support them see the fruition of change and embed change that will, will make the difference. Because otherwise it's not, there's no longevity. There's no lasting change to that. So I and I think that's exactly what you're selling. It's exactly what you're fostering in what you're what you're mentoring. So um, we'll put links in the in the show. I know it's indeed uh to, for people just to reach out if they do have questions or queries uh because i i do fundamentally believe in this in this scheme
0: cool yeah uh, it's 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 really nice to talk about it because i'm really passionate about it and as i say it's this is the way we should be doing business this should be business as usual for us all now um and all if we're not doing it now it needs to be in people's minds for the futures this is how we do things
1: I completely agree, Carl. Many thanks for your reflections, mate, and uh, thanks again. No worries. Thanks for having me. It's been good
0: to chat to you. You're listening to the Pre-Hospital Care Podcast on the Medics Academy Network.